So uh, the next thing is, uh, as you well know, there's a world crisis going on. And this week I spoke to some old friends in India, in Mumbai, in Ganeshpuri, in Rishikesh, and uh, the situation is so dire. Uh, so we're going to do some mantras for the healing and you know the whole world, and the suitable places to the Divine Mother. And so we're going to do 54 of these mantras to the Divine Mother, to the Goddess Saraswati, the Goddess Lakshmi, the Goddess Durga, and to the the uh, Parashakti, the Supreme Shakti, the Supreme Mother. We ask that the Mother uh, help in this uh, dire crisis. So, uh, <clears throat> how we do it? We do, uh, you can do alternate ones. So we'll begin with Gajananam.
Hello, everyone, <clears throat> and welcome. I always like to uh, begin my talk by quoting my guru, Swami Muktananda, who always began by saying in Hindi, Sabko varasanmane kesat premse hardik swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that that's the essential key of spirituality, to welcome another person with love and to welcome yourself with love. That's something we're pretty bad at usually. We have to love ourselves and then give that love to everyone. So in that spirit, I want to welcome uh, all of you tonight. <clears throat> and uh, this, this is called satsang, and uh, that means the company, the truth. And in 1970, I was uh, living and teaching in Chicago, in the U.S., uh, and uh, I met an American yogi named Ramdas, pretty well known, many of you may have heard of him. Um, anyway, I met him at a, a private dinner party, and we, had a, we were talking to each other. And that night I learned something. I learned that there are great beings alive on the planet now, not just 2,000 years ago when Jesus lived or when the Buddha lived and so on, but that there are great beings who understand the spiritual truths alive now. And that electrified me and changed the direction of my life because I felt I had to meet such a person and get guidance from them because I was, although I was successfully moving forward in my life and career, uh, my inner being wasn't quite so successful. So I felt quite lost. And so uh, within a year, I, I was on my way to India. Uh, and one thing led to another. I met a number of great beings and finally uh, found my guru, Swami Muktananda, and spent several years with him in India. So I celebrate these great beings. These are, I always say, they are the, un, the unknown or the overlooked greatest resource of humanity. These are the great beings who have attained the self, who have attained enlightenment, who have attained uh, uh, self-realization. And these great beings can teach us that and can actually transmit that state to us. And so in these programs, I always celebrate the great beings. My favorite great being to celebrate is, of course, my own guru. Uh, but tonight we're going to look in a different direction, a different tradition for one of my favorites, who I never met in the flesh, but I feel very close to him, and he is a beautiful man named Suzuki Roshi. Suzuki Roshi. He's in the Zen tradition. He's a Soto Zen monk. <clears throat> he was uh, born in 1904, and in 1959, he left Japan and went to San Francisco in the United States, and he began teaching Zen. Zen was quite popular in the uh, beat generation. Among all the beatniks, they loved Zen, uh, and uh, so he had quite a, a following and he, uh, he lived there and established a, uh, a very strong ashram center 
uh, in that area. <clears throat> and then he died in 1971. Uh, but they've collected many of his uh, teachings and his lectures, and they're very uh, interesting. We're going to hear some of that tonight. What else do we have by him? There he is, another picture of Suzuki Roshi. Okay, and we have, uh, yeah. And this is a Sashin, they're sitting and meditating, staring at the wall. Oh, I didn't have my, my uh, oh, I do? Here it is, ah. Somebody gave me this, because I like this Zen stick. I don't even know what it's called. But uh, you see the, the monk is walking behind them, and if they're not sitting perfectly straight, whack. I think he, he might ask permission first, and everyone bows, and he hits them, and then they bow, and they thank him for that. Uh, that's a different tradition. We use, a, we use a, a peacock feathers. <laughs> we're, we're much softer. <clears throat> so, okay, so Suzuki Roshi, he... Um, um, now, Zen is a very interesting path. I've always been attracted to it. One thing I like about Zen is that it's always about guru-disciple relationship. All the Zen stories are about masters and disciples, and, the, and uh, the transmission of wisdom from master to disciple, uh, because Zen says it has to be a living tradition, not just something you read uh, in a book. And Zen is also extremely anti-conceptual. It's all experiential. They don't have big theories. In fact, they, if you come to a Zen master with a theory, you, you're taking your life in your hands. You, you might get whacked. <clears throat> and, so, um, and they're also very humorous and mysterious. <clears throat> and they, they emphasize practice, the practice of meditation they call Zazen. And Zazen uh, is... One of the best methods of meditation, it's called, they call it uh, just sitting, shikantaza, just sitting. They tell you how to meditate. You know, you don't have to take a meditation course. You go and sit down and just sit there. Uh, uh, what do I do? Just sit there. How do I do that? Just sit there. And it's a, a great meditation. You're just sitting. You're not fighting your mind. You're not doing anything. You're just being there. And they have a wonderful attitude that, that when you sit in meditation, you're in harmony with the Buddha. You participate in the Buddha's enlightenment. By sitting in meditation, you become the Buddha, and there's no striving. You're already enlightened as you sit there. You sit there as the Buddha. So this is... Uh, the Zen method. <clears throat> so here's a, a lecture by uh, Suzuki Roshi, and then we're going to go back to an early part of the, the tradition in a minute. <clears throat> Suzuki Roshi says in one of his talks in San Francisco, he says, I think most of you are rather curious about what Zen is. Zen is actually our way of life. Unless our life is organized, we may not realize how important it is to know where to start our life. 
As Zen students, our life begins with zazen practice, meditation practice. We come back to zero and start from zero. So in meditation, you go to zero. No thoughts, ground zero. <clears throat> Although we have various activities, the most important thing is to realize how these activities arise from zero. At the moment you decide to sit, it means that you've already set your alarm. When you have enough confidence to make the decision to start practicing zazen, that is zero. <clears throat> During zazen, you may hear a bird singing. Something is arising in your practice. In the same way in our everyday life, many things will arise. And if you know where these things arise from, you will not be disturbed by them. Wonderful. In meditation, you sit there, and you can't control your environment completely. There's always going to be some noise that you hear. And so the Zen, Zen they tell you, just something is arising in your meditation. A bird sings. A car goes by. And the same is true in life. You live your life, and then something arises. An unpleasant person says something nasty. A bird is, is singing. So it, this is the way life is. One thing after another comes, and the Zen method is to see that it's just something arising in your meditation. That way you don't get hooked in. We're very different. We get hooked in. We get emotionally involved. We get negative. We get hurt. We get upset. <clears throat> so that's the Zen thing. You don't get disturbed. If you know how things arise, then you'll be ready. Oh, something is arising. That horrible person is in my face again. <laughs> it's like watching the sunrise. Oh, look, the sun is just coming up. Oh, there's Karen. <laughs> a, mo a moment of pity to all the Karens who didn't, didn't cause this disaster to happen to them. Anyway. Our practice is to accept things, so you accept various images in your sitting. The most important thing is to have big mind and to accept things. The, uh, the Buddhists talk about big mind. The, your mind is little mind, and big mind is what we call in our tradition the self, pure awareness. So to have big mind is to be broad-minded. And you can be so broad-minded that nothing bothers you. If you're that broad-minded, you're like the ocean. And so these people and different events arise and they don't bring you down. So you cultivate big mind. Don't sweat the small stuff. Stuff happens. <clears throat> Our everyday life is like a movie playing on the wide screen. Most people are interested in the picture on the screen without realizing there is a screen. When the movie stops and you don't see anything more, you think, I must come again tomorrow evening. I will come back and see another show. When you're just interested in the movie on the screen and it ends, then you expect another show tomorrow. Or maybe you're discouraged because there's nothing good on right now. You don't realize the screen is always there. Interestingly, uh, Ramana Maharshi also used the metaphor of the movie and the screen. The screen is always there. The movies change, but the screen is always there, like the self. 
the, mo the screen is, the movie is like our minds. Different emotions, different thoughts come and go. Uh, but the screen, which is our pure awareness, the inner self, just awareness itself, is always there. Suzuki Roshi says, but when you're practicing, you realize that your mind is like a screen. If the screen is colorful, colorful enough to attract people, then it will not serve its purpose. The screen should be plain. So to have a screen which is not colorful, to have a pure, plain, white screen uh, is the most important point. But most people are not interested in the pure, white screen. They want drama. <clears throat> Zazen practice is necessary to know the, the kind of screen you have and enjoy your life as you enjoy movies in the theater. Another one is to remain as the witness of your life rather than get sucked in. Oh, ah, ooh, ah. And we get drawn into everything and we get very uh, anxious because of that and we lose our energy. But if we watch it in a detached way, it's different. He says, you are not afraid of the screen. You do not have any particular feeling for the screen, which is just a white screen. So you're not afraid of your life at all. You enjoy something, you enjoy something you're afraid of. You enjoy something that makes you angry and makes you cry, and you enjoy the crying and anger too. <clears throat> if you have no idea of the screen, then you'll even be afraid of enlightenment. What is that? Oh my! If someone attains enlightenment, you may ask him about his experience. What didn't happen? When you hear about the experience, you may say, oh no, that's not for me. <clears throat> but it's just a movie, you know, something for you to enjoy. Enjoy uh, the movie of your life. See, the screen is the clear space of good feeling. That's the self. That's the zero point. That's the baseline, place of calm place of calm. And then our minds agitate us and we move away from that. And then when we meditate, we come back to that clear space of good feeling. And as we become habituated to that place, we learn to live in that place. And then things don't engage us so much and we have a steady hum of joy and peace that comes up. He goes on, if you want to enjoy the movie, you should know that it is the combination of film and light and screen, and that the most important thing is the plain white screen, which is consciousness or the clear space of good feeling. And to keep that baseline in touch, to keep in touch with that space in us, we all have that space, what he's calling the screen, but the space of peace within us. And to, to learn how to cultivate that place and return to the place. He says that white screen is not something that you can actually attain. It is something you always have. And the yogis say that that clear space of good feeling is always there. But we agitate ourselves with the way we think about things and we lose it. The reason you don't feel you have it is because your mind is too busy, he says. Once in a while you should stop all your activities and make your screen white. The point of meditation, going back to zero, to the clear space of good feeling. Sometimes we're so agitated, our mind is so overwrought, we never touch that place, except maybe when we sleep. 
but then it's hard to sleep, too, if our minds are really agitated. That is zazen. That is the foundation of our everyday life and our meditation practice. Without this kind of foundation, your practice will not work. All the instructions you receive about how to have a clean white screen, even though it is never pure white because of various attachments and previous stains, all, all the instructions you receive are about that, to learn how to make the screen clean. We call this also Bhavanara code, to move back to that space, to hold that feeling, that clear space. So let's do it for a second. The clear space of good feeling. Do you know what that is? A place of clarity, no anxiety, nice feeling. Doesn't have to be mad ecstasy, but joy. Just peace and joy. And the mind is calm. The mind doesn't have to be blank, but the mind is not running the show. The mind's peaceful. And keep touching into that place. Just let's touch into it for a moment now, as best we can, just with our eyes closed or open. Just touch that place. It's there within every one of us. He goes on, when we just practice Zazen with no idea of anything, we're quite relaxed. Because it is difficult to have complete relaxation in our usual posture, we take the posture of Zazen. To do this, we follow the instructions that have been accumulated from the experience of many people in the past, this posture of meditation. They discovered that the posture of Zazen is much better than other postures better than standing up or lying down. If you practice Zazen following the instructions, it will work. But if you do not trust your own pure white screen, your practice will not work. Thank you very much. <laughs> so you have to have faith that, that that place is there within you and that you'll be able to do it. When you first start to meditate, your mind usually explodes and you can't believe how busy your mind is and how difficult it is uh, to quiet it. <clears throat> so now I, I want to go back to the origins of Zen. Way back in the 13th century, there was a Japanese monk who went to China. Many of you know that uh, the great Indian sage, Bodhidharma, came from India and brought Zen, Zen meditation to, to China. And so this, this monk, Dogen Zenji, we have a picture. There he is, a photo, photograph, nice photograph. <laughs> That's Dogen Zenji. Uh, and he's a 13th century. And 13th century is a long time ago, you know. That means the 1200s. That's before... Uh, Willie Nelson, <laughs> before Shakespeare, you know, before Queen Elizabeth I, um, before Australia was. <laughs> so, well, so a long time ago, uh, medieval time. Uh, and so he came back and he taught Zen 
Soto Zen, as we call it, uh, in Japan. And he wrote a, a wonderful uh, essay called Universally Recommended Instructions for Zazen. <laughs> so here we go. Let's hear them. 12th, 12th century. <clears throat> he writes, the way is originally perfect and all-pervading. How could it be contingent on practice and realization? The true vehicle is self-sufficient. What need is there for special effort? The Zen attitude, everything is attained. The same in Shaivism, there's nothing to attain. And even though there's nothing to attain, it takes many years to attain it. <laughs> that nothing, paradoxical. That's one another thing about Zen, it's always very full of humorous paradoxes. <clears throat> he says, indeed the whole body is free from dust. Who could believe in a means to brush it clean? It is never apart from this very place. What is the use of traveling around to practice? Why go here and there to study when it's all here? And yet, if there's a hairbreadth deviation, it's like the gap between heaven and earth. If the least like or dislike arises, the mind is lost in confusion. So even though we have the self, the clear space of good feeling, we have enlightenment right within us. If there's a hairbreadth of agitation, we're in hell. Even though we know it's right there, it's just there, we, when our minds go off, we're plunged into, uh, into hell. Suppose you're confident in your understanding and rich in enlightenment, gaining the wisdom that knows at a glance, attaining the way and clarifying the mind, arousing an aspiration to reach your heavens. You are playing in the entrance way, but you're still short of the vital path of emancipation. Consider the Buddha. Although he was wise at birth, the traces of his six years of upright sitting can yet be seen. Because he was very wise, but he had to sit and meditate for all those years. As for Bodhidharma, his nine years of facing a wall is celebrated still. If even the ancient sages were like this, how can we today dispense with wholehearted practice. So even though we don't have to practice, we do have to practice. Just saying we need to do something. Zen's very practical. You need to do, establish yourself in meditation. <clears throat> he says, therefore put aside the intellectual practice of investigating words and chasing phrases and learn to take the backward step that turns the light and shines it inward. That is a marvelous sentence. Give up, you know, theory. We get so attached to all kinds of theories, external theories and internal theories, different philosophies. I believe in Vedanta, I believe in Shaivism, I believe in Buddhism, I believe in this, that, and, and we just go around chasing words, he says. He says, investigating words and chasing phrases and instead of doing that with our mind, outgoing mind, take the backward step that turns the light and shines it inward. Turn the attention inward. The light of your attention, turn it inward. That's the actual practice, to turn the mind inside. 
that turning away from the externals towards the internal, that defines meditation. <clears throat> Body and mind of themselves will drop away and your original face will manifest. Your original face, that's one of those encorns. What is your face before you were born? If you want to realize such, get to work on such right now. For practicing Zen, now these are practical instructions, a quiet room is suitable. Eat and drink moderately. Put aside all involvements and suspend all affairs. Do not think good or bad. Our judgments agitate the mind. Do not judge true or false. Give up the operations of mind, intellect, and consciousness. Stop measuring with thoughts, ideas, and views. Have no designs on becoming a Buddha. Those, oh, that's a pretty high bar, isn't it? Stop thinking. Don't make any judgments. Don't have any ambitions. At your sitting place, spread out a thick mat and put a cushion on it. Sit either in the full lotus or half lotus position. In the full lotus position, first place your right foot on your left thigh, and then your left foot on your right thigh. In the half lotus, simply place your left foot on your right thigh. I'm putting my right foot on my left thigh. <clears throat> Tie your robes loosely and arrange them neatly. Then place your right hand on your left leg and your left hand on your right palm. It means like this. Thumb tips lightly touching. You put it on your, like that. <clears throat> Straighten your body and sit upright, leaning neither left nor right, neither forward nor backward. Align your ears with your shoulders. That's, I'm not aligning with my shoulders. Now I'm aligned with my shoulders. And your nose with your navel. See, nose should be in line with the navel. Not like this, not in line. <laughs> Rest the tip of your tongue against the front of the roof of your mouth with teeth together and lips shut. And now this one is going to be hard for us. Always keep your eyes open and breathe softly, softly through your nose. This is the Zen. Do you have that picture of that Zen, the Zen meditators again? I don't know. It's all right. Never mind, everyone's in meditation. Oh, there we go. You can see that they're, you see the way they're, mm -hmm. they've got their hands. Are their eyes open? Or hit them with a stick. If their eyes closed, hit them with a stick is what I say. Huh? They're open, good, okay. They're looking down, okay. <coughs> I don't recommend that. You can sit with your eyes closed. Once you've adjusted your posture, take a breath and exhale fully. Rock your body right and left and settle into steady, immovable sitting. So, so you, get, you get set and you go, wah, wah, and boom. That's the way you do it. <clears throat> Think of not thinking. That's a terrific illustration. Think, when you meditate, don't worry about whether you're thinking or not. You know, 
people worry, I can't stop my mind, I, I can't do it. Don't worry about that. Think about not thinking. <laughs> think about not thinking. <clears throat> so he says, not thinking, what kind of thinking is that, he says. Non-thinking, this is the essential art of zazen. The zazen I speak of is not meditation practice. It is simply the dharma gate of joyful ease, the practice realization of totally culminated enlightenment. It is the koan realized. Traps and snares can never reach it. If you grasp the point, you are like a dragon gaining the water, like a tiger taking to the mountains. For you must know that the true dharma appears of itself, so that from the start, dullness and distraction are struck aside. What the heck's he talking about? He says it's not a practice. It's it's the goal itself. You know, the dragon with water and the tiger in the mountains. You're sitting with great exuberance, but very collected. So if you can do that, in other words, there's a lot of energy in true meditation. A lot of energy, a lot of shakti. Then he says, when you arise from sitting, move slowly and quietly, calmly and deliberately. Do not rise suddenly or abruptly. In surveying the past, we find that transcendence of, most, of both mundane and sacred depends entirely on the power of zazen. You have to transcend both the worldly and the spiritual by the power of zazen. The intelligence or lack of it is not an issue. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Make no distinction between the dull and the sharp-witted. If you concentrate your effort, if you concentrate your effort single-mindedly, that in itself is wholeheartedly engaging the way. Practice realization is naturally undefiled. Going forward is, after all, an everyday affair. In general, in our world and others, in both India and China, all equally hold the Buddha seal. <clears throat> so um, that, that takes a little footnote. The, there are four seals of the Buddha. So all the paths agree on certain points. He's saying all the Buddhist paths. Uh, the, uh, the four seals of the Buddha are, one, the impermanence of all things. Everything passes. Uh, second is... Um, delusion is suffering. That we suffer because of delusion or ne negative emotions. Negative emotions call, cause our suffering. <clears throat> and then things, all things are empty or selfless, he says, which Bhagavan is now say everything is dust. Nothing is that important. And then... Uh, the fourth one is nirvana is peace. That to find peace is the goal. It's the goal and it's the state. It's the state of being. <clears throat> he says, while each lineage expresses its own style, they're all simply devoted to sitting, totally blocked in resolute stability. So all the different paths of yoga, including not just Buddhist, but the Hindu paths, the Sufi paths, all of those that cultivate a certain inner state are all uh, similar. The language is different, 
The ideas may be different, the method might be different, but in every case it's to find that space within us that exists no matter where we're from or who we are, that space of joy, of contentment, peace, love that's within us. He says, <clears throat> although they say that there are 10,000 distinctions and a thousand variations, they just wholeheartedly engage the way in zazen. Why leave behind the seat in your own home to wander in vain through the dusty realms of other lands? If you make one misstep, you stumble past what is directly in front of you. So Zen is finding what's directly in front of us here and now, right here. So it's sitting down and meditating and penetrating the, this koan of our own being to find that source of peace that does exist within us. He goes on. You've gained the pivotal opportunity of human form. Do not pass your days and nights in vain. You're taking care of the essential activity of the Buddha way. Form and substance are like the dew on the grass. The fortunes of life, like a dart of lightning, emptied in an instant, vanished in a flash. So I said, think deeply about life. And the stuff that happens in life comes and goes very quick, but there's a deeper meaning don't just be superficial and external. Find the deep spiritual truth of life, and that will last. He says, please, honored followers of Zen, long accustomed to groping for the elephant, do not doubt the true dragon. <laughs> what on earth is that? <clears throat> the, the elephant is the, the intellect, groping the intellect, so don't the true dragon is the dragon of experience, the experiential, present experience. Devote your energies to the way of direct pointing at the real. It's another thing that Zen said. Direct pointing at the real. Not theoretical ideas, but what is so? What is being? This is the goal of meditation. Reveal the one who's gone beyond learning and is free from effort. Think, well, think of the Buddhas, the great beings. Accord with the enlightenment of all the Buddhas. Succeed to the samadhi of all the ancestors. Continue to live in such a way that you'll be such a person. Don't just worship these great beings. Become one. Prioritize this quest in your life. Just because uh, you know, other people that you know don't know about it doesn't mean that you shouldn't follow this path. This is the true path. <clears throat> and you, you can become such a person. The treasure store will open of itself and you will enjoy it freely. It's a very optimistic method. Begin, begin on the path. Go back to ground zero. Practice meditation every day. Practice zazen. Know your true nature. Become great. Become a Buddha. Become a realized being. This is the path. So let's meditate. <clears throat> we have 10 minutes to become Buddhas. <laughs> but according to what I just said, if you just sit and meditate, you are the Buddha. I always like to think that, that uh, when I meditate, I'm joining 
thousands and thousands and millions of great souls, great yogis, great meditators, Buddhas, Siddhas, realized beings of all time. And we're all sitting together in some realm and focusing on the self. And then we become one with all of them. And then that, that power, that ability is within us. So let's meditate. We'll meditate for 10 minutes <clears throat> and sit quietly, sit straight, rock once and then sit firm. But in this sitting, there's no striving. Whatever arises is what arises in your meditation. A bird arises, a car goes by, a negative thought goes by, a memory comes by, a fantasy comes by, a nasty thought comes by, a pleasant thought comes by. It's all just coming and going. And there you are. As long as you don't grab them and run off with them, they'll go away. It is all impermanent. So let's just sit for 10 minutes. And you can use the mantra of our lineage, Om Namah Shivaya, and repeat that if you, if you can't do Zazen. But if you can do Zazen, just sit. And we'll meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Sakunat Marj Let's meditate. Hi, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not check out Swamiji's latest book, Ganeshpri Days, Memoirs of a Western Yogi. It's about the time he spent in India with his guru, Baba Muktananda, in the 1970s, and it's a great read. To get a copy, go to ganeshpridays.com. That's G-A-N-E-S-H-P-U-R-I, days.com. Wherever you are in the world, you can get the book on Kindle or printed in your own country.